What's up and welcome to the Ezekiel Social Club podcast brought to you by Ezekiel Defense Shooting here in North Carolina. My name is Kevin. I'm one of your hosts and I'm sitting across from a really good friend of mine, my good buddy Nick. What's up, dude? What's up, Kevin? Man, I'm so glad you were finally, finally here and we are finally doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely, dude. We've been talking about it for a while. So I'm glad we could actually get together and and do it. Real quick, uh, before we dive into the topic, I don't want to waste anyone's time, uh, of course, the whole idea, the premise of this whole podcast was me and Nick geek out on the same kind of stuff. We both like firearms. We're all into the whole situation awareness and EDC and just kind of all around geeky stuff that dudes like. And so we always have these good conversations over uh, bonfires and when we're out hiking together and et cetera, et cetera. And we thought it would be really cool just to sit down, record some of our thoughts. And that way, maybe, I don't know, someone listens to it, someone subscribes and maybe, I don't know, learn. We are not an expert at all. Uh, any of this kind of stuff but uh, i think we do have some good stuff to share so we thought we would just do this sit down dive into our first uh topic um backstory really quickly again i'm kevin uh you can find me on instagram at salty gnome underscore actual i'm a farms instructor here in north carolina and i geek out and all of this really really cool stuff and i'll let nick kind of dive into himself really really quick nick tell the people who you is so i'm nick i rent construction equipment but uh, I am neighbors with Kevin. We hang out all the time, do a lot of outdoor stuff, um, hiking. Uh, we haven't done any camping, but hopefully in the future, we've done a few videos and things together and obviously the shooting thing. So that's where I kind of enjoy spending time together with you guys. And I think we can definitely throw some experience out there and talk about some topics that we both care about. Absolutely, dude. I know that I can always uh, go to Nick with any idea or any topic. And we haven't done the camping trip that's something we've been talking about for like, I don't even know how long at this point, but we've been we a few years for sure. Yeah, we've been talking about doing that. And uh, I think that's something we got to definitely table. So the topic for today's discussion is just like uh, the title says, it's going to involve hiking. And so obviously Nick, uh, Nick and myself and uh, our significant others, we have hiked together, mainly day hikes, nothing, nothing too crazy. Just, you know, like three, four milers or whatever. And so when we and Nick are on these uh, hikes, we always kind of come up with little scenarios and little conversations along the way. And it kind of got us thinking about how, how can you stay safe when you're day hiking or even f- uh, for like long periods, if you're, you know, you're doing these like seven, 10 mile hikes a day, or even if you're going somewhere and staying for a couple of days. And so we thought we would com- kind of compile all this into a gigantic list. The nice weather should be coming around the corner uh, shortly. And so if you're brand new to hiking uh, or maybe you've been doing it for a little bit, maybe you can learn, uh, maybe learn something you didn't know. But if you're brand new to hiking, I think this will be a good episode for you because it will help you uh, hopefully plan your hikes a little bit better. But all the information that we're going to throw out can still be kind of put into other other trips. It's not just hiking, but it still kind of gets your, your brain going. So the first thing I'll kick off with Uh, the first kind of segment would be planning the hike. And I always kind of say this joke and it's not really a joke, but I don't know. It makes me laugh is like, you're never going to be surprised that you're going hiking. Like you're never, you're never just going to be blindfolded and wake up in the great smoky mountains. Like it just, that's called a kidnapping. There's a difference between an impromptu hiking trip (laughs) and a kidnapping. And a kidnapping. And if you, yeah, you're going to know the difference very quickly. And so the, the first thing that I recommend is we always plan the hikes, right? We, before we do any kind of hike, my wife typically gives, uh, gets on the All Trails app, and that's not a plug. We don't get paid by them, but the All Trails app, it will show you all the hikes in the area, 
it'll show you the difficulty levels. Uh, and the cool thing is it will even have user reviews. So you can actually click on it and there's pictures from people who are posting like real, like, uh, like real photos and stuff. And the user reviews are a great section because a lot of times the description of the trail doesn't actually match up to what you see. Well, it's so subjective, right? Yep. Like yep. you have somebody sitting behind a keyboard writing a, a paragraph about this trail that may or may not be a park ranger or an experienced hiker or a noob or whatever, but they're just putting on what the difficult rating is for that hike, what the difficulty mm -hmm. rating is. And you don't know how that ties in how, how you perceive it. Yep. So you just read a paragraph about it and say, oh, it's a, it's a beginner trail. But that doesn't tell you that maybe a beginner trail for them is still a half mile with 600 foot elevation gain. Well, for you, that's going to be pretty, pretty difficult as, a, yeah. as an intro to hiker, you know? So, yeah. And a lot of times too, the description of the trails don't quite match up because it'll say things like it's a four mile loop. Uh, but the problem is they didn't tell you that there was a section that was 4,000 wooden steps to climb. And if you're a person that's battling any kind of injury or you have bad hips or knees or ankles or whatever, that's the information that you should probably know. Or if you're not like an NFL running back. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's, we love that app just for the idea of planning goes. And so I would say get on, uh, get on all trails app or get on something, find out exactly where you're going, um, what the trail system looks like. Cause there's tons of different ones. Find the difficulty level that you're looking at. So maybe you're like a brand new hiker. So find one that's easy, obviously. Read the review. See if there's anything in there that throws like a curveball at you where you're like, oh, I'm not going to climb 800 steps or whatever. That's a good information to have. Uh, so that way you're now we're at the first starting point. We've planned the hike. We know exactly where we're going. We know how far it is from our house. We know what we're expecting as far as how many miles and then what what you know encounters can we come across is it waterfalls is it overlooks things like that and the cool thing about everything we just talked about as far as planning goes is this will dive when we dive into packing this will help because i believe that every hike that you go on your environment dictates what you pack and so it might be a situation where again if you're going on a quick little one mile to the edge of like a waterfall, you may not need to pack a ton of stuff, but we'll get there when it's, uh, when it's time. So we've sat down, we've pulled up the app. We found out exactly where we're going to go. We got all the cool little information on there. And the second thing for planning that I want to cover is now we know where we're going. I think it's important to go ahead and share that location with your family and your friends, people who are not on the trail with you. Don't share your location with your friends who are hiking with you. That is completely unnecessary. They already know where you are. So if uh, if me and if my wife are going to go hiking and Nick is not going, I will send Nick a text message with all the information he needs to know. Now, you know, obviously, if it's a day hike, some people may say, well, that's kind of weird, dude. You're only going, you know, you're only going like two hours away. But hey, it's still good information to do. I'll send Nick a text with everything. Hey, dude, this is where we're going. This is where we're staying if it's an overnight trip or whatever, but here's where we're going. And that way he at least has like a baseline to start from. If I text him at 9 a.m. and say, hey, we're pulling into the park and it's 1130 at night and he hasn't heard from me, I'm not returning his phone calls or text messages. He drives by the Casa and my truck isn't here. A car's not here. He at least has a baseline to start. Okay, cool. I know that I can call local authorities and report, you know, hey, 
my buddy's missing. Where was he last known? Well, he was at DuPont State Park or he was at Pisgah or whatever. It's a safety for you. Yep. If you think about it, every time you go out in a state park or wilderness area or even somewhere local at local parks, you may not have good cell reception. And we are so tied to our phones, we don't know how to live without them on a day-to-day basis. And if you go out there, you have no service, you try to call for help or somebody, God forbid, breaks an ankle or gets lost or something happens, there's a thunderstorm and you get disoriented, I don't know, but you're not going to be able to reach out to people sometimes. Mm-mm. And and obviously, you're not going to hear from the same people. Uh, you're not going to be able to reach anybody for hours and hours on end, which isn't abnormal. So nobody may realize that you're in danger or anything bad's happened until it's too late. So just to have someone that's not with you, someone back home that knows where you're at, is really a big safety thing. Yeah, if you if you geek out and you actually do the research, you'll find that a majority of hikers that either came up missing and were located or hikers that are currently still missing that haven't been found, a majority of them were solo hikers. They went by themselves. And I understand that, you know, not everybody has like a hiking friend or whatever, but if most of the time in those stories, if you read them, the individual went hiking and told no one, didn't tell them where they were going. They typically went to a location that they, this is like the weird part. Most of the hikers that are missing were known to their family to be hikers, but hiked in a place they never went before. So when they were missing, they sent like, oh, I know that my son or whatever, you know, hikes at this place, but they chose to go to a place they'd never been before. And like how, I don't have the, like the stats or the acreage, but how big is, uh, what was the park you guys went out west? Which you went to Grand Canyon, right? We've been to, yeah, a couple of them. Grand Canyon's one of them, but that place is... How many acres do you think that is? Millions. I mean, yeah, it's like, massive. I have no clue. How do you even start a search party? Uh, like half you're... a state. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you start a search party if you don't even know where to look? So sharing that location, I think, is super important. And you can... That jumps into your regular life, even if you're not a hiker. Even, you know, if you're just going to the beach or whatever, it's still good to share that information with people where you're going. So that way, if you have kids or pets or things like that, something happens, you at least have somebody that can either go get your kids if they're staying with someone, uh, or you can go to the Airbnb where your dogs are, what have you. Right. And, And this isn't something that like, I'm not an expert in doing this at all because I didn't really start thinking of it until last, I think it was last year when we went to, uh, Smoky Mountains National Park, right? And it's like a, from our Airbnb to the top, it was like, I don't know, I felt like a, a freaking hour of windiness. And I don't know by chance, I don't know the the actual highway, the, the main road that runs in there. I shouldn't know that. But that road is extremely windy. And if you actually look up, you will find that there are more vehicle wrecks on that road. There are a ton of vehicle, uh, ca- you know, obviously casualties because of the wrecks motorcycle wrecks and things like that. When we started thinking about it when we were up there, I hadn't checked in with Nick, hadn't checked in with my own mother, even my wife's parents didn't even really know. They knew we were on a trip, but they had no idea like where we were. And we started thinking about it. If something happened, if we wrecked that car and went off the edge and like how long would it take someone to a find us? And then how would people get to our Airbnb to get our dogs? Like, and that kind of started the, the wheels turning as far as putting some kind of safety so safety plan in place. Uh, so I boast in the transparency of 
it took kind of a weird, morbid thought to be like, we're kind of doing things a little wrong. You find yourself in situations every now and then where you, you might be a little bit uncomfortable. You're doing something new. You're in a new place. You, you find, I don't know, a cave off of a trail somewhere and you're like, Hey, I want to look in this cave. Well, I mean, maybe you climb up in there and you're like, well, I got a really uneasy feeling, but I mean, that happens all the time. You're doing yeah. something new. Yep. And so after that, we started making sure that we uh, at least, you know, send out text messages today because, because your emergency contact doesn't have to like, they just have to, they don't even have to reply. You're just giving them the information. So that way, if you don't check back in, they have a general idea where to start. And then if you change throughout the duration, you need to update. Now that's hard, of course, with service. So if you do like a four mile loop and you're like, oh, I'm going to go to another trailhead and the trailhead is like, let's say mile, you got to drive a mile or whatever down to the base of the, whatever, you know, drive down to do another trail system. If you don't have good signal to update your emergency contact, at least you have the last known. And that is super, super important. That will at least give park rangers and park staff somewhere to obviously begin. They've got tools to find you, man. They're, they're made you. to be able to do this. They've got tracking dogs. They've got helicopters. They've got spotters. They've got everything they need to find people, but they have to know where to start. Yep, absolutely. And so we, we planned our hike, right? We found where we're going to go. We found out the difficulties, and then we sent out our emergency, uh, our emergency contact, our information. Hey, man, this is where we're going. This is where we're going to come back, and and all that good stuff. The next thing I think is kind of cool uh, to do is even so. I've sent so for this scenario, I'm the one that's hiking. I've sent Nick uh, my emergency contact information, so he knows where I'm going. But the other side of that is, I think it's really important to have something on you that has the same information, but almost like in reverse. So in my bag that I carry, there's a bright yellow or it's a bright orange, like right in the rain tablet. And it has, uh, it says emergency on the outside of it. And inside that has like who I am, uh, who I'm probably with, which would be my wife, my phone numbers, uh, any medical conditions that either of you know, us have, and also our emergency contacts. So like my mom, her parents, uh, Nick, like anybody, like definitely put more than one because you have no idea if the person that they're trying to call is unavailable. Now, that's for the most part, that's it's smart to do. the The likelihood that two hikers, if me and if me and Nick were were hiking together, the unlike it's kind of unlikely that both of us would become both injured severely, and it happens, but it's unlikely. But I think if you're going to hike by yourself, because I know you can't find a partner, you need at least have like a that reverse emergency information in your bag in case you have like a diabetic issue, your blood sugar drops, uh, you trip, fall, whatever. Someone can pull that, find it, and have at least an idea of like, okay, this is where this person, this is who they are, if they're staying locally, if they're out of town, whatever, and at least they can call the emergency contacts on the paper or whatever. I know yeah. people like our phones have that emergency card that, you know, that paramedics and EMTs can access, but that only gives you like so much information. And I, so I, I think it's important to have, like, I'll just, I kind of call it that emergency, like just emergency card with all of your information on it. You know, I've never done that. I've had, I've got like tags on my luggage or my backpack or whatever that tell me who I am or tell other people who I am, but I don't have anything that tells me, Hey, this is where 
this guy was staying when he's out of town on this trip that he's going out west to go hiking. I don't have anything listing the address of the Airbnb we're at or the hotel we're staying at or the airport we're flying out of, anything like that. So I, that's actually a really good idea. I'm going to probably take that into consideration. I think it's kind of, I mean, just important. You never, you really never know, honestly. Um, it's kind of nice. Again, if you're hiking by yourself, that I wouldn't recommend doing that. But that's, I think, doing this. If you're walking, if you're hiking with a group, it's still kind of a good practice to have it. But for me, it was just more of a fail safe, just in case, you know, you're hiking, a tree fell down, you slip, fall, whatever. You'd have at least someone knows like who this person like is laying there on the on the ground. So you've done that. That's kind of um, the, the last thing that I didn't even think about that my wife brought up under the planning section was since you've you're you've researched the trail, you know where you're going. You need to make sure that the the vehicle you're driving can actually maintain where you're going. And I didn't think about that, but when we were up in Chattanooga, we went to I think it's like Snoopers Rock, I think. And the app actually, or the review said that you can drive your vehicle up to the lookout. And when we got there that morning, there was actually a quick little wedding ceremony going on. And people did that. And the person was in like a Honda Civic or something and was completely stuck. Really? And it took, I don't know how long to get that car out. So if you're going to go hiking, make sure that the car you're driving can maintain. Now, again, most places we go, it's like paved roads and things like that. But Another, the story that my wife brought up, which was kind of embarrassing was, I can't remember exactly where it was in Bryson city, but we used the GPS and we were driving on a gravel road, which happened to be like, be where people were walking. So we think the GPS actually made us turn on a road that was not made for cars. Like a pedestrian track. Yeah. They were looking at us pretty hard. Like they were looking at us, but like you wouldn't know that's the GPS fault. But what if our car was lucky enough to get through it? But those kind of things, like make sure like research, but make sure your car can get up <laughs> those mountains at those, at those uh, elevation levels. We've done some hiking out West. We've gone to a couple of different state or national parks and decided to rent a car whenever we traveled out there because we're moving between different locations and in different cities and different parks. And so one of the things that we've really had to think about was how much are we packing? If we're going out for a week trip, we need to have you know, luggage and all of our hiking gear. And if we have four people there, we're going to have to have a lot of room in that vehicle, but not just that we're going to have to have room for food or room for any kind of uh, rented gear, anything that you might need. So um, we tend to rent SUVs or something like that. Maybe yeah. something before we'll drive if you need to, but um, realistically you're, you're going to want to have something, a vehicle to get you from point A to point B. And some of these national parks, most of them are paved. There are paved parking lots, but there's a lot of trails that you may not realize are going to be cutting through some rough areas or there might be Very flooding true. or anything like that. They're not as kept up as like a city street you would expect. Yeah. So having transportation is definitely big. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't think about that. Like you're right. That's a really good point. These, most of these roads are not maintained as well as you think they are. So we got our plan, right? We got a little emergency plan. We got all that prepared. So now the question is packing. What do you bring? And I referenced it earlier. I think the hike and the environment will dictate what you bring. And uh, this is something that I've struggled with from, from the time that we started. And I made up a number. This is like I've made this statistic up. I think it takes like 10 to 20 day hikes until you probably figure out like what works for a baseline. 
versus what doesn't. And so like when we first started hiking, uh, the first one I think we did with Nick and his wife, I think I had a sling bag with me, which is a great bag. Like I, I like it. And I was like, oh, I'll bring the sling bag. Like it's perfect. It's uh, it looks like a regular book bag, but it's a sling style. It holds a ton of stuff. And it was great, except for the fact that it pulled, it pulled your body in a weird way. So my back was killing me. So most of the, this wasn't even a crazy hike. I mean, it was a crazy elevation changes, but it wasn't like it was anything ridiculous. Yeah. I think it was about four or five miles maybe. Yeah. It was like, I think we're doing like the waterfall, triple falls. Triple fall, yeah. yeah. And so I ended up having to hold it, like reach up and grab the sling strap and like pull it down uh, to, to make it work. And that was like miserable. And well, so think that, about all that weight. Anything in that bag a, yep. is just pulling over one shoulder now. Yeah. Instead of being able to tie around your waist or around your chest and then have both shoulders supported where you're actually holding the weight up a little higher, it's actually just pulling down on that one shoulder. Yep. For the whole, it was miserable. So then I learned, okay, well, I won't do a bag or I won't do a sling bag. But the cool thing about the bag was I was able to have like all my packing stuff. And so that's something to consider because I have uh, five different little categories for what to pack. And you're going to have to have to, you're going to have to put it in something. So whether it be a bag, a fanny pack, or nothing. So if you have nothing, then I guess you hike with nothing. But the the five categories for packing that I think, and, and Nick's going to have like his list, and we might be pretty close, uh, but we might be a little different. So the first, the first thing that I look at when I'm going to pack uh, is protection. Now, protection goes with you like every hike. It's not something that your environment doesn't dictate that. So you always carry your protection. And I broke that up into three categories. Whether it be a firearm, if you're comfortable with a gun, all of your state and your national parks, um, besides like carrying inside the welcome centers, you can carry you can carry a concealed firearm on the trail system. So a firearm, be one. I'm not going to get into like calibers. I'm not going to argue that like nonsense. Just carry whatever gun you have, carry it. Uh, number two would be you cannot overestimate a really good knife. And even if it's, um, uh, it doesn't matter if it's fixed blade or if it's a folding, just a good solid knife will definitely help you. And the last part of the protection is bear spray. You can't go wrong with bear spray. You got to have it for certain areas, man. Yep. I, I would never hike. In some of the places we went, we were at Glacier. I was actually nervous with bear spray, and I don't think I would ever do the trails that we did without it. Just even it's a it's another safety thing, right? Like right. It, it may or may not ever have to get used, uh, or you may or may not even ever see a bear. We didn't see a bear for two of the three trips we took, but um, you saw some other animals that were a little bit uh, too close for comfort or whatnot. And you just right. imagine if that had been a bear, you know what would I have done? Or if that bear had decided to charge us? The bear spray is a, is a whole another game. It, it's just, I'll probably take it everywhere I go. I might just buy some. You can't fly with it, so you got to buy it or rent it wherever you go. But I probably just want to buy some to have here anyway. Yeah, I think with the uh, with the bear spray, it kind of covers uh, multiple multiple categories. One, it's going to take care of any animal, you know, that's going to come, uh, but it's also going to work on people, and so I think that's also important as well. So if you're not comfortable with a firearm least have like some pepper spray and i still carry i mean i still carry i carry all three uh, when we go because you never obviously it's more or less than lethals so the firearm for sure if uh you're comfortable with it understand not everybody is 
you know, comfortable with that. The fixed blade or, or a fixed blade or a folding knife is super important to have because you just never know. Like a knife is one of those things that you may never access it in your bag, but the day that you have it, you will be so lucky that you had it or the day that you need it, you'll be so glad that you had it. I think you can really use a knife for so much and, and not everyone has survival skills where they can uh, just make a fire with their elements around them or make, you know, cut up some sort of a twine or something to make a wrap that people don't know how to build shelters, right? Like I, I probably would struggle to build a shelter. I've never actually tried it, but it'd be something fun to do one day. Yeah. Um, but you have to have a knife. I mean, not even so much for protection, but just as a tool, you can do anything with it. You can cut up food with it. You can, you know, work on vegetation around the area. You can create shelter. You can use that. You can start fires and things like that. So it's just super super useful not to mention all the multi-tools they have out now mm -hmm. you've got pliers you've got small knives you've got rulers you've got so many different tools that you could use for anything that you come across i think if you didn't care yeah that's a good point if you if you didn't want to carry like a just a plain knife then just invest in a good multi-tool because a multi-tool will take you a little bit further you can still stab people with it which is great but you have all the other facets on there as well pliers and whatever else hell there's even some that are directed towards more of the hiking community anyway and i've seen some that have like utensils on there and if you're packing a lunch or whatever on a trail and you forget a utensil you're going to be eating yogurt with your fingers that's right and you're going to get stared at so that's so for protection that's kind of my three firearm knife slash multi-tool or uh and then of course bear spray or bear spray can be not a lot of your local stores will carry it uh, but you can always get on a course like Amazon, but at least have like at least all three or at least two just to provide you some type of protection. And I'm sure at this point, you're probably wondering, damn, this, this kind of like went left foot a little bit because now this dude's talking about guns, knives, stabbing people in mace. But I promise a little later on in the podcast, it will make sense when we start tying it all to together. One thing I'll touch on real quick before we move on about uh, the bear spray, the knives, uh, and the pistols and firearms, of course, be comfortable with those things. If you're going to be out there carrying these and, and potentially find yourself in a situation where you have to use something like that for defense, uh, whether it be against people or animals or what, what have you, but be comfortable using that stuff. Look at the safeties and, and look at how you have to actually use those in that situation. I was very surprised to learn that bear spray lasts like six seconds or eight seconds maybe, mm -hmm. and you only get a few seconds, and that bear's got to be within 15 feet yeah. or something. Like, that's not going to help you if the bear's 45 feet away. You're just going <laughs> to run out of spray, and then the bear's going to be, back, like, real pissed off yeah. and just come at you. Yeah. That's a good point, yeah. Make sure that you are uh, proficient. We I, we say this a lot a lot of times, especially with, with firearms. That's That should be a common sense thing to be proficient, but common sense is lost on some. But bear spray or pepper spray is another one. You can't just... I know this sounds kind of like weird. You can't just go to the store, buy it, and then put it in your bag, and then be like, cool, I'm protected. Yeah. You've got to at least know how it operates. There's a lot of people will tell you to typically buy buy two, which and can be expensive, especially bear spray. I think bear spray is averaging like 35 bucks a can. But buy two and that get then go outside in a safe area, of course. And make sure that you know how it operates. Like, does it come out in a fog? Does it come out in a stream? Does it come out in a gel? All of that, you know, plays a huge factor. Because if you don't know how to operate that little safety that's on it under normal conditions, how do you think you're going to be 
when your heart's at 320 BPM and you're, you have a gigantic bear running at you or even a person, how do you think you're going to be able to access it in your bag and access a little safety that you've never even messed with before? So make sure that you have proficiency like with it. Uh, don't go around macing people. No. But at least know how it operates. The next portion of like packing and what to bring would be food. And of course, like your hike is going to dictate like what you bring, of course. But I still think it's, uh, and this doesn't work for everybody. Not everybody brings food on a, tr- a hike. Because some people are like, well, dude, I'm going to eat breakfast before I leave the house. And it's only, you know, it's a two-hour ride. Right. And then the trail is, you know, it's a two-and-a-half-mile loop back to the parking lot. I don't need food. Cool. That's great. You. This is all. This whole list is all personal. So what I do, what Nick does, what you do is completely different. It's completely fine. But at least I do think it's it's actually funny. You can eat breakfast before a hike. It's 90 degrees outside. You start sweating. Those calories start burning. And you'll be amazed how quickly your stomach starts growling. That blood sugar starts dropping. Or if you're struggling, if it's like a hard trail or whatever, having something you can eat, whether it be trail mix or peanuts or something, will take your mind off of like what is kind of occurring around you. So I'm not saying you got to bring like a whole like, you know, cuisine with you, but at least bring like trail mix or granola bars. Uh, Nick, you guys bring those little like cliff bars and little cliff. Uh, what's the stuff called? Looks like little blocks. Yeah. Like, like the, gummy yeah. blocks. They're actually really good. And, and the thing about those is it's super high calorie. It's, it's not very much as far as like a nutritional meal. Like I don't ever get hungry when we're hiking or doing something outside. Mm-hmm. I tend to just be thirsty. Yeah. But I don't want to sit down and have a whole three course meal planned out when we're going to be hiking another four miles later on. Yeah. I just want something snack wise to get me by for a couple hours. It They're high calorie, so they're heavier and they, they make you feel more full, I guess. But realistically you're getting electrolytes you're getting sugars you're getting uh quick burn carbs stuff like that that you can actually use that your body needs to be energetic and be able to carry on so hydrating and then having some sort of a quick release or or energy pack is really going to help you there not so much being hungry in my opinion yeah because i think one of the hikes we did with you guys we didn't bring any food because we were we ate breakfast or whatever but it's amazing when you finally get to the destination it's kind of kind of cool to sit down and have something sweet, have something that has some sugar in it to get that sugar rush uh, or whatever. So now in my bag on the last hike that we did in Chattanooga, I believe we we didn't pack a ton of food. We packed like we just took a Ziploc bag and we just put like I had mine, she had hers, and I just put some like I think two of everything. There was like two granola bars, two Cliff bars two trail mix packs. And then we took a page out of Nick's book. We packed, uh, I think one or two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. The best. Yeah. There's they nothing. Are the best snack <laughs> ever for any kind of lunch you take when you're hiking or you're out in yeah. a, a park somewhere. It's the coolest feeling to sit up like on the top of a mountain and eat a, P- a PB and J. Yeah. And so we, we packed that. We didn't even eat half of, I think we put like two little miniature slim gyms in there. So we actually probably had more for, what we were doing, but the way I looked at it is it's better to have a little bit than have none. But then also it's kind of cool because if you think about other people around you, you actually might be able to make someone's day a little bit better. So if you're, you know, hiking, you get to the destination or whatever, and you look around, you might actually see someone that 
might be, might, I don't know, might be hungry or might not be feeling good. And to be able to pull something out of your bag to give them like something sweet with sugar or whatever can make someone's day, obviously. And so that's kind of the whole food, food thing. And again, that will be super personal to you because at the end of the day, you pack what you want. If you want, I mean, there are people that bring like full on picnics, then do whatever, whatever you want to do, do it. This is your, this is your hike. But I would just advise to think about it from the perspective of like, yes, yes, in theory, it's only a two-mile hike in and out. So it's just two miles, right? One mile in, one mile out. Can you survive? Sure. Fine. No problem. Yeah. I would really be against it, like stuff that you and your wife did like out west. When you're going on seven, like 10-mile hikes, and you got nothing on you, no food, like in barely water. That stuff starts freaking me out. Yeah, I'd, I'd be really, really feel unprepared, I guess is the best way to put it, if we did some of the stuff. I think we went on one hike that was like 14 miles in one day, and it was ridiculously long, and it was hot. The back half was really hot, and we stopped for lunch and had, of course, PB&Js. We had um, – all kinds of little goo gels and, and gel oh, yeah, blocks. Gels. And every, everything was just along the way. We'd stop every couple miles just to get, get a little break in. But I ran out of water uh, near the end of that hike. And we had gone, I think, 13, 12 or 13 miles before I got out of water. And I packed two full liters. And I'm thinking two liters will last me a day. But yeah. it, it, you don't realize how much you need water when you're hiking. But people that do that with the minimal, they just take a little water <laughs> bottle. Uh, that's That's just crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, if you're doing that kind of, that kind of hike and you don't take food uh, or water with you, that's a huge issue. Cause like I said, I know it's a day hike. And so if you're, you're, you know, you're only going out and coming back to your car, I get that. But for the guys who are doing like long hikes or multiple days hikes, like definitely like it should be a a no, there shouldn't be even a, a discussion on that. We mentioned water. Now we go into hydration, which is still the same thing with the food thing. But there are a lot of people who uh, who don't really take water. You know, if it's a one mile in, two mile loop, three mile loop, four mile loop, or whatever, there's a lot of people who just don't even have water on them. We'll pass a ton of people that will just have like their clothes that they're wearing. They won't have like anything with them. And I've talked to a few people and uh, about the you know just whatever. And some people are like, oh, you know, I'm pretty good. Like I don't, I'm good. I don't really need need the water. I drank a ton before we got here, used the bathroom at the welcome center, and then going to do the four-mile loop and be back in the car. Cool, whatever. And so you'll see people with none. You'll see guys just carrying like one little, you know, one little water bottle for the for the hike in, hike out. And then you have guys who are carrying like full-on bladder systems. I don't think there's a right or wrong because, again, it's all personal. But at least have, obviously, some water because you'll be amazed on, like I said, how much water you drink when you're exerting yourself. But then also I think about other people as well. The water can also, I know obviously you typically are hiking the mountains and there might be a waterfall or whatever. But if you have at least an extra bottle or two in your bag, you can use that to rinse a wound or rinse something mm-hmm. out of your eye, something of that nature. So try to think, you know, try to think, I guess, outside the box a little bit on that. Like, oh, I just, I just carry one bottle. Cool. But like you don't, you have like, what happens if it's a, like in Nick's case, what if it's just a seven mile hike in and four miles in, you're going to take some a sip of your drink. You trip. That water bottle hits the ground. Gone. It's gone. Hopefully someone on the 
a you know a, a part of your hike party will have extra but those kind of kind of think about it like that that perspective when it comes to hydration most i don't know i don't have like a statistic for this but i would average that most people don't drink enough water anyway and when you're hiking in heat you're exerting yourself you'll be amazed how your body needs uh, your body needs the water you start getting headache on those trails you start feeling like nauseous it's good to actually have it and i think you'll never truly have enough <laughs> with you uh, but I still think hydration is super important and you can geek out as much as you want. Some people I've read articles where people pack a bladder of water and they'll still pack like two or three Gatorades in their bag. You pack however you want, but at least have some, something to freaking eat a little bit of snacky snacks and at least have something to drink. Yeah. Anywhere you go, I don't care how long you're hiking for. If you go to say, go to watch a little league game or go to watch a football game somewhere and you get thirsty and hungry, just sitting there, like just sitting there in the sun, you're not even doing anything. You're just yep. sitting there, and and so you can imagine what actually exerting yourself. You know, you may not think about it, but you're you're really needing that for your body. And have you ever heard the old saying? It's um, one is none, and two is one. Yeah. So it's it's all about redundancies, right? You gotta have something in place just in case something happens to your initial uh, initial pack load. So say you lose a bag, or say you. Uh, get a hole punct uh, punctured in your bladder and you, all your water pours out in your backpack or something like that, you got to have something in a water bottle or a case somewhere that you have extra water to get by just to survive. Same thing with food. I would just carry as much water as you're comfortable carrying because mm -hmm. water's heavy, right? Like water, food, all that stuff is really heavy. And if you're hiking all these miles and miles, and especially longer hikes, you're going to be tired of carrying that backpack all day and it's yeah. going to suck. The good news is, the more you drink, the lighter it gets. So <laughs> exactly. Th that's why I run out of water. I get tired of carrying the damn thing, and I just have to drink all that water up to get exactly. to get by. But yeah. And not all reality, man. Carry as much as you can, um, just to have it. And if you don't end up needing it, um, then you didn't have to to yeah. drink it. Yeah. And again, you'll never you'll be surprised uh, how many people you pass on a on a trail system that have nothing with them. And so you can always kind of help another person out. I know people are like, well, they had the same, you know, they had the same. You know, they should have the same mindset I have in pack, but not everyone thinks the same way. So you might be able to help a someone out who needs water or whatever. So pack water. Uh, the next element in the whole packing list is medical. And medical is something you can geek out on like crazy. You can pack. You can spend as little or as much as you need to on medical stuff. And most of the time, like hiking medical kits are usually pretty basic. Uh, they'll be just kind of boo-boo kits. They'll be band-aids. They'll be like hydrocortisone cream, burn creams, sting creams in case you get burned, you know, or in case you get like stung by a bee or whatever. And those things are really, really basic. They're really inexpensive. I mean, they're like cost nothing at like a big box store. So that kind of covers that. You can even go even geekier and you can start adding things like tourniquets and like stop the bleeding and all that stuff. And that's all preference. And that's all, of course, if you know how to use like a tourniquet and all that chest seals and all that, but at least having some type of medical on you in some form or fashion will either help you or help a person in your party or someone else. And it could be as basic as just having some band-aids. Cause I would say 90% of what you're going to encounter is going to be someone tripping and falling. Yeah. You know, like they're going to trip over, um, you know, cause for some odd reason we can't remove, you know, they can't go in and remove half of these roots because they're afraid the trees are going to die. So someone's going to trip, you know, skin a knee, skin an elbow, skin a hand, whatever. 
a kid. Good Lord, man. These kids are like notorious for falling on these trails. So Band-Aids are huge. Having all the little burn creams and sting creams are kind of, you know, it's important, I guess. Having those, you never know if you're going to get stung by a bee or whatever. But uh, I would, if it doesn't have it, I would add headache medicine. Add things like Benadryl, um, headache medicine, whatever the case may be. Because, you know, you may not have a headache now, but uh, 45 minutes to an hour, two hours into the trail, you start getting a headache. And that's a brutal uh, a, a bad day to have. So with the medical stuff, you can go as geeky as you want. In my bag, if you're curious in my bag, I have a boo-boo kit that just has like all the little basic stuff that you can find. And then I have incorporated, I always grab, I carry a tourniquet and I do carry the stop the bleed stuff. But obviously for Nick and myself, we both have went through the class and we've done the certification on that. So that way, worst case scenario if someone falls and scuffs their knee, hey, got a little Band-Aid. Make them feel good. If someone falls uh, and we have mass amounts of bleeding, breaks like uh, breaks their leg, the bone sticking out, like nasty, we at least have a way to do something. Now, that's again, we're still going to be pretty limited on what we have, but it makes me feel good knowing that we have some stuff with us. Better than nothing. And, pretty much. And you don't know what you're going to need, when you're going to need it, but just take a little first aid kit, med kit. IFAC, whatever you want to call it, take it all with you every time you go out. And nope. I've never had to use it for anything except no. for blisters. And I have used Tylenol, um, yeah. ibuprofen, inset, stuff like that. Um, one of our hikes had a pretty sprained ankle and definitely was popping some Tylenol, just pain, swelling, all that. It just helps, you know, being able to navigate the trail a little bit easier and a little bit less discomfort. But having that stuff, the headache medication, um, Benadryl, especially for allergic reactions. You yeah. never know what you're going to come across, plants, wildlife, animals, anything like that. So you got to have something. Yeah, like there's, you said. Yeah, there's always a, uh, there's another guy that me and me and Nick follow that always says, if you have a gun, a tourniquet, I ha- if you carry a gun, you better have a tourniquet attached to it. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of my thought process on that as well. If you carry a firearm, every day you should have a tourniquet with you because God forbid something happens to you you need to be able to have a tourniquet. So with the medical stuff, you can go as geeky as you want. You can find good resources on internet. You can literally go to Google and just type in ideas for first aid kits and you'll be amazed. There's also a company that I, I can't remember the name, but there's companies out there that actually manufacture uh, first aid kits for like hiking and boating and all that kind of good stuff. So you can always just buy one from them. They'll come geeked out with everything you, you potentially want. Now that is weight to think about. That's more weight added to your bag, but just have something. A little basic boo kit will go a long way. True. And the last element that I have for kind of my packing is uh, weather. And that's kind of important because obviously you never really know what – I mean, if you're hiking in the wintertime, you probably should be dressed in layers because you can always take layers off. You, Unless you're like a renegade rebel – and it's wintertime and you're wearing like a t- uh, tank top and like shorts, that's on you. But if it's wintertime, you should be wearing layers that yep. you could take off and put back in your bag or at least wrap like the hoodie around your waist or something. If it's summertime, you're probably wearing shorts and a t-shirt. But at least having something in your bag, like a light uh, windbreaker material or something like the Gore-Tex material that's like uh, waterproof or whatever. So that if you start the trail off in the summertime and you're in shorts and a t-shirt and all of a sudden, boom, black clouds appear you got a nasty rainstorm now you got four miles to walk back it actually might be beneficial to be able to pull i would love to be able to pull out a windbreaker 
or something of that nature to keep me dry, some kind of poncho to wear for my four miles down or, uh, or, you know, give it to someone, I guess. But anyway, that way you're comfortable. And so when I think about it, at least having something you can throw in your bag in the wintertime and in the summertime. And then the, the next part of that is if it's summertime, you're going to be exposed to obviously the sun. So having, uh, having like sunscreen in your bag is kind of, kind of important. If, if you're a lot of the places you hike are somewhat shaded, but it's amazing. The sun still gets way, gets through those trees. So having some kind of sunscreen and then, um, a hat of some sorts. Like I typically wear a hat, but it's usually backwards. So it kind of defeats the purpose, but at least you can always spin it around to keep that sun off of that face. So that's kind of how I went into it for weather. Have something to keep the wind off and the rain off and have something to keep the sun off. Going along with that, as far as packing extra layers or anything like that, if it's cold, take a pair of gloves. I yeah. can't tell you how many times I've been hiking and it's like 40 to 50 degrees and my hands are freezing and I didn't plan to have to deal with cold hands. I just decided to go at it and I throw my hands in my pockets if they get cold, but they are freezing. For, <laughs> yeah. If you're out there for three, four hours, your hands are cold. Take a pair of gloves. Um, take a hat. It'll keep your head warm. It doesn't have to be a mm -hmm. toboggan or anything special unless it's really cold out. Um, to go along with it, uh, waterproof shoes yeah, are yeah. probably the biggest thing. I don't know if you have anything you want to touch on those later on, but if we can go into it now real quick, maybe the, the shoes are going to be the biggest factor in hypothermia as far as like cold water goes a lot of the hikes that we did whether there were waterfalls in the mountains or springs or anything like that the water is really cold right it's coming down from the mountains it's spring water natural cold water and if your feet are soaking wet and you're walking around and it's 50 degrees outside and you're doing this for hours and hours and hours and your feet are cold you're going to be sick yeah and you might not have hypothermia if it's if it's not that cold out but uh, especially in the winter time or earlier spring or late fall you're going to want to have something that's waterproof just on your feet. Just kind of protect that. You don't want to get blisters. Wet socks suck to hike in. Trust me, I've done it. I fell. <laughs> I think last time we went hiking, I fell into the waterfall. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just slipped on a rock and went down into some weird cavernous hole that was probably 12 feet deep <laughs> that I was up to my neck in water within half a second. It's a great example. I, I can't remember where we were when we did that. It might have been that lower, the... DuPont, I think. It, I think it was, yeah. But that's a good example because that happened relatively early on into the hike and so like all of a sudden you slipped you had good shoes on and but you still slipped because i mean that's how it works right and you fell down in that little little pocket of water and after it was done we were talking i was like you know dude that could have been bad overall like you could have cut your leg going in you could have like broke something going in uh, but then the rest of the hike you're wet the whole day the whole day like dude. six more hours yeah I don't know about you. I don't usually take extra hiking boots with me. I, I'm, not, I'm not packing that heavy. <laughs> no. Not on a day trip, but my uh, yeah, shoes were soaked. Just, yeah. My socks were soaked. I just had to take them off the whole ride home. It was terrible. Well, it's cool that you're touching on clothes because that was actually the next thing. But uh, yeah, the shoes thing says I learned the hard way. I was hiking in, I don't even know like what kind of shoes they were. They were on cloud and they're comfortable for walking around like a city. But the problem was there's the, the bottom of the shoe has this opening little gap in it and I guess it allows the, I don't know, this should have been better. Anyway, rocks get up in that. So periodically, every 10 feet, you have to stop and scrape rocks out from underneath your, your foot. And that's actually highly, highly annoying. And it's amazing how comfortable shoes will make a huge difference, especially for that. Like, I'm still struggling with that now, trying to find, like, what works. Because I bought a pair of, like, Columbia 
kind of boot-esque things right. uh, on our last one, and those were comfortable. My wife has been walking in like the Hoka's, so I bought a pair of those, and we just did that day hike uh, together last weekend or whatever, and that was just a couple of hours. Like, well, we were it was twenty minutes up the road, but it was like four miles or whatever. Right. And um, do my feet hurt until the next day? Like my feet were it hurt so bad walking barefoot because I typically walk on the outsides of my feet anyway, and either the shoes aren't wide enough or what have you, and they are pinching the side of your foot so bad on the hike. And this wasn't even like, this isn't even a crazy trail. This is a freaking flat trail with a little bit of elevation that leads to a suspension bridge. And uh, my feet hurt so bad. They were hurting probably 40 minutes in or 30 minutes in whatever to the, uh, to the hike. And so I'm still trying to learn uh, what I can do and what I can and what I should change up. And I'm thinking that on the next uh, hike that we, we go on, I'll end up probably going back to the boots and trying those to see like is there a difference between the boots and the like hokas or whatever if you have terrible if your feet hurt it will make the hike way freaking uh worse it'll be a terrible experience because the one thing i said earlier was freaking roots everywhere if you don't have any kind of ankle stability and you take you you will roll your ankle you do not want to be four miles five miles up and have a sprained ankle that's it your friends are not going to want to carry you down that mountain you're right? asking a lot of your wife at that point I mean, <laughs> you're, asking, you're you're gonna have to sleep on the couch for at least yeah, a week yeah so make sure so like for the whole clothing thing just make sure that you're you're wearing proper clothing right you got shoes that fit you got shoes that provide the support that you need for whatever it is that you're doing make sure that you're wearing good clothing you're being comfortable you know there's a lot of people we see man i don't know what it is about it but there's a lot of people that are wearing like uh, blue jeans and dress shirts, hiking. A lot of people in flip flops. I don't know how many times I've seen somebody walk past me on a super, super rocky trail wearing flip flops. Like it, I think if I were to stop and ask them, I think they would all answer the same question or answer it the same way. I don't think they even knew where they were going. Like I bet you they're like, oh, my friends just told me that it was a. We we're just going for a little hike and had no idea what they were doing. They just heard there's a watering hole at the end. That's of it. it. Where they're going to yep. jump in. In their jeans and flip-flops. I yep. think it's going to be a beach. You know what happens if you're walking four miles? Let's say, let's say, let's not even say four miles. Let's just say it's a one-mile hike down, and the uh, the thong or whatever that piece is on your flip-flop breaks. You are walking back on rocks for yeah. one mile. Good luck with that. If you got a backpack full of good supplies, you could probably fabricate something. <laughs> a banana leaf and some twine will do you. If you're carrying some duct tape in your bag, you might you might be able to uh, fabricate something. So, so we to recap, we we're gonna plan, right? We got our plan. We know where we're going. So we have that idea. We set up our uh, we are little emergency contact, all that good stuff. We started to we packed. Right, we chose whether that was going to be a bag or a fanny pack or whatever is comfortable for you and what can hold the items that you're going to carry. You've obviously got your proper clothing. You're all set, and then kind of moving into the doom and gloom portion of the of the podcast. This last little bit is kind of the whole reason why we did this episode, which is talking about the dangers of hiking. And there's this weird misconception because even I was a victim of it myself, where you really don't think hiking is that dangerous 
yes, I understand like you can, the whole falling thing. Yes, that that's dangerous, but you typically look at it like one dimensional. You'll say, well, the only way I'm going to get hurt is if I trip and fall or I fall off the cliff. That's usually how it's broke down. And I was kind of the same way. I thought about it from the same perspective where I'm like, oh, you know, you're really not going to hurt yourself too terrible because obviously you don't really think of that that way. When I first started going on the hikes, I was not carrying a firearm. I didn't want to carry the extra weight. I was also doing the fanny packs at the time, which just don't provide that. You do have like no room for hardly anything. And so I was carrying like, you know, pepper spray, but that's a pepper spray and a knife, but I wasn't carrying a gun. And I was kind of okay with that for a while. Like, I don't really need to, and I don't feel like I'm in a situation where I really need to do it until I had a really lovely talk with one of the park rangers at DuPont. Mm-hmm. And that dude completely messed me up after he was telling me all of the terrible things that happened at state parks and national parks and turned me on to some websites to find out some information. And my mind was completely blown. I was reading these stories of terrible things happening, not just someone tripping over a root of a tree, but child abductions, rape, sexual assaults, assaults, um, dog attacks, like just this, it was crazy. uh, The information that he was providing me. And then I realized that there was actually a lot more going on on the trail systems than we thought, because we're all looking at it from uh, the one dimensional, which was, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm not going to trip then. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to get a splinter. I'm okay. And so it led me down this dark rabbit hole. And I have some uh, statistics to, to, to read out. Let me flip over my little uh, show notes here. So obviously the stuff that I'm going to touch on is the other aspect of hiking and uh, this stuff is kind of mind-boggling. So these are a, f- a few little uh, fun factoids uh, about hiking accidents. This is uh, 57% of fall victims are female. Majority of fall victims, their ages range between 20s and 40s. And typically, if you read the stories of individuals that have fallen off these mountains, they're typically trying to do what? Get a, picture. a picture. Yeah, they're trying to get a really cool picture, which we get. Yeah, you're trying to get close, trying to get that really good photo, and you slip and fall. I don't know if it's you know improper shoes or what have you. It doesn't really even matter because Nick was wearing really good hiking shoes and still took a, a, tum- a tumble. Another thing about the fall is a lot of people don't realize how freaking windy it can get up there. And that wind, especially like Grandfather Mountain, that wind will move you. And so I thought that was kind of um, kind of interesting, the, the ages between like 20s and 40s. 42.4 to be exact percent of injuries are ankle related. So that goes back to kind of what, you know, we were talking about making sure you have ankle support. So 42% of people that are hiking or 42% of the injuries are ankle related. They're breaks. Almost half. Yeah. That's almost half of every hiking incident, yep. wherever this stat came from, but that's almost half of all the recorded incidents yep. that are bummed ankles. Exactly. Yep. Someone's tripping broken ankle, sprained ankle, and that is, that's terrible for sure because obviously someone has to come bring you down or someone has going to carry you down. Or uh, there are some situations where if you they can't get you down, you're going to have to wait for park rangers to to get their crew together to come up. And ask the, the, the side note was I asked um, the park ranger because the, the hike we did at DuPont, there's a rock scramble. I can't remember how long it took myself to get up the rock scramble. And I asked him, I said, hey, question, how long does it take you 
if I was at the top of um, at the top of the mountain, the overlook, how long would it take you to get to me? And he says, well, the cool thing is I can drive my truck down the path that you walked. There's a lot of people. We have to wait for them to move. He said, but from the base of the rock scrambles at the top, um, we can be up there in about, I want to say he said uh, about 15 minutes. Now it took me, I don't even know how long to get up the rock scramble. Maybe, I don't even know, 25, 30 minutes, whatever. So it took him, his crew, 15 to 20 minutes to climb it. And I was like, dude, that's like really freaking fast. He was like, yes, but the last time they had to go up and get someone, it took about seven hours down. Wow. And it was kind of weird to hear that. I was like, wait, it took, he's like, yes, think about it. There's, uh, you're on a stretcher and we're all standing and there's seven of us around the uh, basket, the basket stretcher. And we're, we're having to take one step at a time to make sure that all the people involved don't get hurt and you don't get dropped seven hours to get down a 20, a 20 minute walk. That was, that's insane. So if you sprain an ankle up top and you can't get down, it's going to take seven hours to get you down. All right. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little fun factoid. Um, Yosemite national averages 12 to 15 deaths a year. And they don't really break down the cause of deaths, but I mean, you can research that of course. Uh, 95% of intentional deaths were suicide related. There's actually a ton, uh, obviously 95%, but there's actually a lot of suicides that do take place at the national parks and even the state parks, which is actually pretty tragic. Uh, talking to this particular uh, park ranger, he did say about a month or two months before we went up to the hike, there's a couple different waterfalls and there's one called the lower cascades. You can actually park in the parking lot and maybe a 20 minute walk, you're down to the waterfall access. And he said about two months prior to us coming there, someone had parked the car right at closing, went down and uh, pulled out a pistol and shot himself and killed him, you know, and, and committed suicide. So those things you don't think about, like, I never thought about that. I never thought that there would be suicides at the parks. And obviously it's occurring. People are walking just right up to the ledge and just going, just jumping off on purpose. Yeah. It's pretty terrifying. I don't think that I mean, I don't wish it on anybody, and it's really sad for that to be occurring, of course, but if you think about this, the realistic part of this is that it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, You're unlikely to come across anyone else unless it's a really crowded day there for whatever reason, uh, especially if you go at night or during closing closed hours. Um, and some of these parks, even if it is crowded, you're still hundreds of yards to miles even from the next closest group. Um, I mean, you could look – we were – doing some hiking out West. Like I said, we were up at Glacier, I think, and you could be two or 300 yards from the next people and you don't even know that they're there. You'll never yeah. see them because it's just so, so dense. But I mean, you can get lost out there and, and, or just be 20 feet off the path and nobody will even know you're there. And most people aren't really going to stop you from jumping off because they're not really, everyone's in their own little world and it's normal for you to be near the edge. Like if you go to the ledge, look, it's normal for that. No one's going to intervene because that's normal. Now, if I was standing on the edge of a bridge on a bypass, yeah, people are going to stop. But looking at some of the stories of the uh, suicides is what's happening. They're, they're going out. They might sit there for a minute, you know, based on some accounts, and then they'll just, they'll just keep walking and they'll yeah. fall off the ledge. Uh, that's tragic at that point, especially there are, you know, there have been individuals that have been recovered after the fact. They don't really know if suicide played a role in it because the person had been found kind of accidentally because they went at closing time when nobody was up there. 
Uh, but yeah, 95% of intentional deaths, uh, deaths were suicide related. 13% of the injuries are head. 53% of the deaths are unintentional. 20% are medical related. So someone had a heart attack or what have you. And the last is 25% of the deaths that have been recorded were considered intentional on those hikes. Uh, they're currently 20. This doesn't seem like a lot, I know, but there's 29 cold cases still active. So there's 29 cold cases throughout the national parks that they're still trying to figure out where these people are. And that doesn't seem like a lot. You're like, well, there's a lot of national state. There's Sorry, there's a lot of national parks. And 29 people isn't that high, but these are 29 people that went missing and there's nothing. There's no book bag. There's no packs. There's no clothing. There's, they just like almost vanished into thin air. So those cases are still being worked. And then you have other statistics brought in there from vehicle wrecks, vehicle wrecks that are, um, vehicle wrecks leading to fatalities. You have child abductions or potential you have rapes, murders, robberies. Sex trafficking is huge through a lot of the state national parks. It's easy to try to snatch someone off of there. So when you take all of that into account, that just kind of opened up a whole other variable into your hiking. The, the one thing that I thought about was I thought that everyone was there for like the same reason. We're all there to, to get out, disconnect from reality. North Carolina has like some really beautiful trails here in other states of course but like get out and just kind of experience like what's going on in front of you and just decompress and you think that everyone's there for the same reasons you think that the guy who walks past you or the girl who walks past you and the mom and dad they're all there for the same reason but i guess when you look at it and you talk to a park ranger who's dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis you realize that not everyone is there for the same reason there are people there who are wanting to commit some type of malicious activity whether it be try to rob you, whether it be rape, snatch a kid, or what have you. And that kind of completely messed uh, with my mind when I, when I first heard it and started diving into this. There's like a thousand different YouTube channels of people talking about terrible things that happen on the trails and then people who just come up missing. And so that's why protection is always at the, the top of my list because you don't know who's, along, who's walking past you on the trails, you don't know what you are going to encounter. And I would rather have something and then not need it and obviously need it and not have it kind of thing because you never really know. You really never know what's going to be on the trail system ahead of you. You don't know if someone's going to be there who's going to try to snatch a kid, try to snatch you or rob you or what have you. And so I think you can find these statistics if you do dive on, go on Google and start looking up. Um, the National Park Service actually has on their website, they have their incident uh, their incident report that actually has everything uh, listed. And I was actually going to read uh, a few here. I put my phone aside because it was making a little weird noise. I found I wasn't going to read like I'm not going to read like the whole entire write up. I'm going to read off just the headlines. I won't go into detail the, the full stories, but they're all back. This is just for the 2022 reports from the National Park Service incident report website. Now, the first one is Lake Mead Park Rangers seek to identify assault victim. Then you have uh, a case out of Yellowstone National Park where they found a foot floating in the water. So there's there's that. You have a at the Olympic National Park, 
They are still looking for a missing hiker who obviously went missing. Uh, Yosemite National Park seeks witness for reported sexual assaults. Another human remains found at another park. There's a missing climber out of Olympic. There's another Lake Mead missing woman who went hiking. Then in 2020, you have a Mountain View man pleads guilty to committing murder inside the National Park. And this keeps going and going and going. And this is pages and pages and pages of just incident reports. The last one that is pretty interesting is the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh, they have another incident report page as well. And if you start diving through this, you will start seeing reports of kayak fatalities, uh, wildfires, bear killed by car, uh, trail closed due to activity of bears. You will have motorcycle fatalities, hikers found deceased. Uh, yeah, I did say hikers. Hikers found deceased. A tree falls results in deceased child. Uh, National Guard rescues ill hiker. It just keeps going. And they upload this every single day. Bear, uh, bear put down after injuring human. That's a lot of stuff happening at those parks. And you may get lucky and never actually find yourself in those situations. But I think it's actually kind of good to know like what's around you. And so I say all of that, all that kind of that bad stuff, just to bring home the idea of like get out, have fun, enjoy yourself. But make sure that while you're out on these hikes, you are practicing situational awareness. You are paying attention to your surroundings and the people that you obviously are around you. Situational awareness is one of those things where you may have heard it before, but you may not. I do think it's a, a great episode topic that that uh, Nick and myself can dive uh, dive into. But I think using good situational awareness, looking around, putting your phone down, keeping your head up, looking at who's around you, your gut will never steer you wrong. If you get a bad feeling about someone, if you if you if someone's giving you weird vibes, it's good to pay attention to it and. Obviously, I don't want any of this information to turn anyway from hiking, but I think that even for myself, just being transparent, it opened up my eyes to I can plan better, I can pack better, and I can enjoy uh, enjoy the experience because obviously, at least I know there is danger involved, but then I can pack and hopefully maybe bring a little bit of light to someone's bad day if they didn't pack and they had a medical emergency or what have you. And so that's kind of my whole thought process coming into this episode. It went a little long for sure. We were just, I was just kind of, we had to take a quick break and we came back and I told Nick, I was like, this episode went a lot longer, but it's because there's so much and we could literally probably talk for another like two hours. Yeah. I'd say that the topic is definitely a lot more in depth. We could do anything regarding discussing the pack more, uh, this first aid kits. I mean, there's so much more information that I feel like we could, just kind of go into our own personal experience yeah. on, but for the, the sake of it really, and my, and my only closing remarks on this would be don't let this podcast or anything we've covered deter you. We want this to, you know, in, encourage you to go out and do this stuff more, get out and about and oh, see yeah. what America has to offer. I mean, it, I've been on so many vacations lately that have just been national parks and I yeah. can't, I, I, this has been my favorite vacations that I've ever gone on. So go out and do, the fun things that you can do outside that don't cost money and obviously traveling to get there and whatnot, but enjoy nature, um, enjoy the hiking, enjoy camping, enjoy the national parks and the animals and the wildlife that you come across. But don't let the, the scary parts of this podcast deter you from doing that, but just be more mindful of your situation and, and where you find yourself. And just know that everyone that's out there to enjoy this also has to be aware of 
the other people that may not be there for the same reason as you. Um, it, like you said, it kind of turned, you had a blind eye to that at the beginning yeah. and, and it kind of eye opening for you. And the same for me, I think everyone I've ever come across hiking or, or packing anywhere was just in a great mood. I could not imagine anyone being upset in a national park, <laughs> yeah. um, but obviously it's, it happened. So just kind of be aware of what's going on around you. Yeah, I think it's a good, uh, it was kind of good, a, a good topic. Like, so we went a little long on it. We can spend another like two hours discussing it, but I think that's a really good kind of baseline for everybody. It kind of gives you kind of where our brains are. And as we hike more, we do more, things will change. For the most part, my five core categories of what I'm bringing won't change, but inside of it, there might be things that I add or, or take away. And we can always come back to this a little bit later and kind of give a, you know, kind of an update. And of course, along the way, uh, as the weather gets nicer and Nick and the the wives, we go out again. Uh, if we come across any funny stories or anything that happen, we'll always update. But I think for the most part, I think that has covered our um, the do's and the don'ts of hiking and how to stay safe. And I definitely, myself, I definitely appreciate everyone listening and stay tuned for episode two. Nick, thank you so much for being a part of it, dude. Thanks for having me, Kevin.